Well, Merry Christmas and welcome to First Church, especially if this is your first time worshiping with us. We are so glad that you chose to celebrate the birth of Jesus here with us. And there is no place I would rather celebrate Jesus' birth than right here with our First Church family. I love this church. I love what God is doing in this place. And if you are excited to be here tonight, would you put your hands here? Let everybody around you know how excited you are to be here. Yeah. Awesome. I also want to welcome in our online family as well. Glad to have you guys joining us this evening also. And a few weeks ago, I was online doing some Christmas shopping, and I was shopping for some people who are kind of hard to buy for. Anybody have somebody like that in your life, you know, kind of difficult to buy for? And so I Googled, you know, what do you buy for somebody who's hard to buy for? And I came across this website that had 75 of the top stocking stuffer suggestions for 2022. And so I thought I would share some of these with you, in case you don't have your Christmas shopping done yet, you know, there's still a few more hours, right? Uh, you may get some ideas. Now, I'm not going to share all 75, don't have time for that, but here are a few items that they gave as ideas. I thought this one was great. These are called the Lazy Mop Slippers. These are for people who don't like to clean like me. And so instead of actually getting out a mop, you can just put these slippers on and walk around your house and you can dust or mop your floor. I love this. I don't know if it actually works, but I know that whenever Allison says, my wife says, hey, would you mop the floor? Sure, I can put some slippers on. That's great. You know, it's a good way out. This is genius. I love this. Great idea. Lazy Mop Slippers. Here's, some, here's another idea that I thought was really cool. Cool. This is a portable heater that you plug into a wall outlet. It has a temperature control thing on it, and you can take it with you anywhere. And this time of year, when it's frigid outside, I'm sure this could come in great. Now, I'm not sure if it would heat up a big room. Probably have to be a small room, but this is going to end up in my office here, here at the church because it's always cold. And I thought that was a great stocking stuffer, a great idea. Hopefully, it works, doesn't catch something on fire. But then uh, there's another. Another stocking stuffer that I thought was great, and have you ever asked the question, what do you buy the person who has everything? Well, here's your answer. This was on Amazon, and it's called the gift of nothing. And what it is, it is a plastic ball that contains absolutely nothing inside of it. And I thought this was excellent because look at what the instructions say. Step one, carefully open the pack. Step two, experience nothing. And then it goes on to tell you about the warranty and it says, this product is guaranteed to do absolutely nothing. If something happens, return it for a full refund. I love that. And so you can give this to the person who has everything and they can't get mad at you because there's nothing to get mad at, right? You can give it to them and they don't have it because it's nothing, right? It's the perfect gift. It's really not worth the $8.99 I paid for it, but it was still a good idea. But then there were some more classic stocking stuffer suggestions on this website as well, like this one right here. And I know you've probably seen one of these before. Anybody know what this is? Rubik's Cube, right? Anybody have one of these ever in your life? Let me see your hands. Yeah, a whole bunch of you. Yeah, I figured as much. I had one too when I was a kid. And I have to admit, I hated these things. And the reason why I hated them is because they frustrated me. I couldn't solve one. I tried. There were moments in my life where I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. And I tried and I tried and I tried and I just could not solve it. This thing got me extremely frustrated. And the only time I ever solved it is when I learned, actually a friend of mine told me that you could pop off the stickers, the tabs, and you could change it back. So I popped off the stickers to fix it back to where it was supposed to be, but that's really cheating. And I tell you that not to confess that I was a cheater. I tell you that to illustrate a point. See, our lives at one point were all like this cube right here. God made us perfect, 
complete, whole, with everything in order. God made us in his image. But it didn't take us very long to get things out of order. It didn't take us very long to mess things up. See, all of us, we've said things and we've done things that we've later regretted. All of us have said things and done things that have hurt ourselves, that have hurt other people, those we love. We've said and done things that have even hurt God. Our lives aren't what God originally created them to be. Our lives are kind of messed up. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit, we are a broken people living in a broken world. And you may not want to admit that, you may not wanna say it like that, but it's true and the Bible doesn't hide this truth from us. In fact, in the book of Romans, it says this in chapter three, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Let me tell you something, that word everyone in the original Greek language, which the New Testament was written, you know what it means? Everyone, that's all of us. That's you and me alike. We all have sinned. We all fall short of God's standard. Paul also says in Romans 3 this, and it's clear enough, isn't it, that we're all sinners, every one of us in the same sinking boat with everybody else. Translation, all of us are like the rest of us, at least when it comes to sin. Sin's influence, sin's impact on our lives. See, we're kind of like this little boy who was handed a Christmas ornament, and I think he thought it was a ball. Take a look at what happened. Box. Got that one on video. <laughs> I love his face at the end. He's like, man, I messed this up. I broke this and I don't know how to fix it. And honestly, there's no way for him to fix it. And that's how our lives are right now. We've messed up this life that God gave us, and there's really nothing we can do to fix it. We're trapped like this. And if you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, what a great message. Our lives are messed up and there's nothing we can do about it. What a great, encouraging Christmas message. Glad I came to Christmas Eve services at First Church. If that's what you're thinking, then I'm really, really glad you're here. Because the reason why we can celebrate tonight is because Jesus came to save us from our mess. And here's the thing, there's no mess that's too big for him to clean up. So if your life today looks like this, it doesn't have to stay that way because Jesus has come. And that's the message that I believe that God wanted the world to hear from the very beginning when his son was born in the city of Bethlehem. So we're gonna look at a real familiar passage tonight in the Bible, probably the most popular Christmas passage in scripture. It's Luke chapter two, and we're gonna pick up at verse eight. And at this point, Mary and Joseph have already had their lives interrupted by angels who told them that they were going to give birth to a son, and this son is gonna be God's son, the Messiah, name him Jesus, as he's gonna save the people from their sins. And then Mary and Joseph are forced to go to Bethlehem, the town that they were not from, but it was the town of Joseph's family line. He had to 
go there because the government issued a census and everyone had to participate in it. So Mary and Joseph traveled to the little town of Bethlehem and the little town of Bethlehem was so full of people that there was no room for Mary and Joseph to stay. So they ended up staying the evening in a place where animals were kept. And it was in that place that Jesus, God's son, was born. You guys know the story. Mary and Joseph end up turning a feed trough, a manger, into a crib because there was no other place for Jesus to lay. And in these humble circumstances, Jesus is born. Now, we would think that the Bible, after telling us all that, would kind of want to camp out there for a while, that God would want us to know more about this event. I mean, this is a moment in history that prophets, priests, and kings have waited for. The Messiah has come. God has arrived in flesh. The infinite has become an infant. I mean, this is a big deal, right? And we would think that God would tell us a whole lot about this moment in history. And yet, as soon as we find out that he's born and laid in a manger, the Bible shifts changes gears, moves to a different scene abruptly, almost jarringly. And we find out about some random shepherds who are taking care of their sheep one night. Let's pick up in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this is the most important moment in history so far. And when God first makes his announcement of his son's birth to the world, who is the first group of people that he goes to? Shepherds. Have you ever asked the question, why shepherds? Maybe you've heard this story so often or seen so many different nativity scenes, you never really thought about why the shepherds were there. But why did the shepherds receive this first announcement from heaven? I mean, we would have been fine with if God first announced it to, you know, like the Jewish high priest, that would have made sense to us, right? Or if God first made this announcement to the Roman emperor, the most powerful man on earth, that would have made sense to us. Or if God would have first made this announcement to, I don't know, other political figures like King Herod, the king of the Jews at that time, or some governor or some influential person, that would have made total sense to us. But no-name shepherds who were just watching their fields one night, who we know nothing really about whatsoever, why shepherds? See, being a shepherd in this day and age, it was not a glamorous position. Did you notice what the text said? It said, and there were shepherds living, key word thou, key word there, out in the fields nearby. See, they actually did live in the fields with the sheep. They would spend weeks at a time, sometimes months at a time, living day in and day out with their sheep. You know what that meant? Shepherds were dirty people. They smelled like sheep. They were nasty, they were filthy, and they were considered not just physically unclean, but also spiritually unclean. They weren't allowed to go and worship in the temple because of what they did. Not only that, no one really chose to be a shepherd. You were a shepherd by default. You were a shepherd because you couldn't do anything else. A lot of shepherds were guys who got into some trouble at some point in their life. They were misfits who got in trouble, and so they ended up becoming a shepherd because they had to make a living somehow, and anybody could be a shepherd. 
They didn't have a lot of status. When they came to town, people stayed away from them. Again, they were those who lived on the margins of society and they were untrustworthy because shepherds would spend days and weeks and months sometimes out in the fields on their own with sheep and they would come back to town and they would have these wild stories. I mean, you've heard of people coming back and having wild fish stories. You know, I caught a fish this big. Well, these shepherds, they would come back and have these tall tales that they would tell people and nobody believed them. So much so that shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law. Shepherds were about as low as you could go on the social ladder. No young Jewish mom wanted her little boy to grow up to be a shepherd. And yet, it's to these misfits, these guys who were on the lowest rung of the social ladder, these guys who were despised and rejected by proper society, that God decides not just to announce the birth of his son from heaven to but to give the very first announcement to. It seems like an unlikely audience, doesn't it? And my question is, why? Well, apparently, from the very beginning, God wanted everyone to know what his mission, his son's mission was really all about. See, Jesus, when he starts his earthly ministry, when he's an adult, will say this, He says, for the son of man, speaking of himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Not those who think they have it all figured out. Not those who are planning their own destiny. Not those who believe that they are good. No, Jesus came to seek those who are lost. Those who are wandering. Those who are searching. Those who are living in darkness. Those who are hurting. Those who whose lives are messed up and they know it. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so, if there was anybody in that culture who knew that they didn't have their lives all together and knew that they needed some help, it would have been the shepherds. And I love what the angel says to them. It says, I bring you good news of great joy. This is a good announcement. This is a positive announcement. And shepherds, they didn't have a whole lot to get excited about in their day and age. But this is going to be good news. The greatest news that they could hear. That will be for all the people. Can you say those three words with me? Here we go. All the people. Today in the town of David, a savior, a rescuer has been born to you. Yes, you. He is Christ the Lord. Today, the Messiah has been born, and he hasn't just come for the elite. He hasn't just come for those who believe they are righteous. He hasn't just come for those who are in power and those who have wealth and those who have money. He has come to you, yes, you, because he is a savior for all people. See, Jesus came for all people everywhere, and his birth is good news for all people everywhere and that includes you and that includes me see we are invited to enter into a greater life the life that god has brought to us through jesus and here's the thing this life has been given to us not because we were good and because we deserved it and because we earned it no Jesus came not because we are good, but Jesus came because God is good. And because God is good, he could not stand to see his children who he loved living in a mess. 
And so God came into our mess because he knew he was the only one who could clean it up. And I think we've twisted and messed up the message of Christmas over time. Because what's the message of Christmas? What is it that we hear a lot? That Christmas is for good little boys and good little girls who do what's right, who earn their gifts. And nothing could be further from the first Christmas message. See, Jesus didn't come for those who were good. He came for those who are lost because nobody is ultimately good compared to God. And that's why Jesus says, as he started his ministry, he says, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, not those who think they are good, but those who know they are sinners, because those who know they are sinners, those who know their lives are messed up, those who know they are broken, are those who will give their lives over to me to fix. And that's why when my family, when we open up gifts with my kids, we don't tell our kids that they're getting these gifts because they've been good little boys and good little girls. No, I tell my kids that they're getting gifts because they are loved. See, my kids don't get gifts because they're good, because they've been good all year. Let me ask you, anybody have a kid that's been good all year? Let me just see the hands, okay? Yeah, if there's a hand up, it's a kid raising his or her hand, okay? <laughs> Parents know better, grandparents know better. None of us are good all the time, right? No, I don't give my kids gifts because they're good. My kids don't get gifts because they're good. My kids get gifts because they're loved. And that's why Jesus came. We didn't get this salvation because we were good and we earned it and we deserved it. We get him because he loves us. And he loves us so much he refused to let us stay in our mess. See, Jesus came for broken people and hurt people and marginalized people and flawed people and forgotten people and overlooked people and empty people and disqualified people, people who live on the margins of society. Jesus came for messed up people like you and like me. And maybe this is your first time in church, or maybe it's your first time in church for a long time, or maybe you're one of those people who comes you know, a couple times a year, or maybe you're here every single Sunday, I don't know. But regardless of your reason for being here, I am so glad you're here tonight, and I believe God is glad you're here because God wants you to know you are loved. No matter how messy your life may seem right now, no matter how out of order your life may appear, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you are loved by your heavenly Father. And he wants to give you a new identity, a new purpose in his son. That's what the shepherds got that night. It says in the text, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. These shepherds who'd been rejected by everyone else are now those who get to live in God's Favor, that word favor in Greek means delight. God delights in you. Yes, you. What a good day to be a shepherd. And what a good day to be you and me. Because God delights in us. Yes, even us. God entered our mess in order to lift us out of it. And so, if this cube represents your life right now, 
I've got good news for you. I'm gonna invite my friend Jordan to come to the stage right now. Would you welcome Jordan to the stage as he comes? Remember what the Bible said in Luke chapter two, what the angels declared. Today, a savior has been born to you. Jesus came because we couldn't fix ourselves, but he could. He could save us, he could rescue us, and we may not be able to do anything about our mess, but he can if we'll just hand our lives over to him. See, that's why he came. God came down the ladder. God, separate, God stepped through the door that separated our world and his. And when he came into our world, he didn't come as an unapproachable dignitary or as a celebrity that we couldn't get near. No, he was born to a peasant couple, a scared Jewish girl and a sleepy carpenter who didn't have a dime to their name. The first hands that held the Son of God were not well-manicured hands, but they were dirty, calloused hands. And the first ones to hear about his birth weren't kings, celebrities, famous people, influential people. No, it's mere shepherds. Shepherds who were rejected by everyone else. They got the news that first Christmas night that they could live in God's favor. And that same news is what God wants us to hear tonight. That no matter how messed up, no matter how broken we are, God came down the ladder to be with us because that's where we were. And he knew only by being where we were could he clean us up. Now, here's the thing. Jordan, that's great. That's awesome. You uh, definitely did something I can't do, but I'm going to do this to you, okay? Sorry. Because here's the thing. Even though we have accepted Jesus and he cleaned us up, we still mess up, don't we? But here's the thing. That verse that says that Emmanuel means God with us means he's always with us. So, he continues through his spirit to live in us, dwell in us, empower us, enable us to be what God has declared us to be so that even though we are still sinners, God, the creator of the cosmos, has declared us righteous and whole, and now he is empowering us to live up to what he has declared us to be. And so even though we may mess up, sorry, Jordan, even though we may mess up (laughs) over and over and over again, God, man, you did that fast. You're awesome. God has made us new, righteous, and whole in his sight. Can you give it up for my friend Jordan? Jordan, you're great. Thank you. Awesome. And because he has declared us righteous, we can celebrate tonight. We can have joy because Jesus has come. Joy has come. But here's the thing. You can't just hear about Jesus. You've got to go to him. You've got to actually hand your life over to him See, the shepherds didn't just say, oh, well, that's some really cool news that the angels told us about. Let's get back to herding the sheep. No, they went to see him. Did you notice what the text says? It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. See, tonight, if you want to have that joy, you gotta seek him. And after the shepherds sought Jesus, do you know what the result was? The shepherds went back full of joy. They thanked God for all they had heard and seen. See, the reason why they came back with joy, notice they go back where? Back to the fields. They were still shepherds. They were still living in darkness. They were still living in a broken world, but now they can live in a broken world with joy. 
And that's what we have. Yes, the world around us is still broken. And just because we accept Jesus doesn't mean that life all of a sudden is easier and that everything comes together around us. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, though, that your spirit can be whole, that you can have the promise of salvation, hope beyond this world, and you can know that what you see around you, the brokenness around you is not all that there is, but you are living for something greater. You see, the shepherds realized what many of us have realized. The most what people live for in this world is a childish charade in the mind of God. The homes, the boats, the toys. It's a house of cards that sooner rather than later will come crashing down. See, I believe there's a voice crying out in each one of us that says there has to be more to life than what we see everyone else living for. And the truth is, there is, it's Jesus. Jesus is the source and the meaning and the purpose of life. And until you make room for him, you will never have real and lasting joy. And so tonight, can I challenge you? Make room for him. Because when you do, you will live with light in the midst of the darkness. Some of you know that my family has been through a trying, difficult, scary season. My, my wife spent several days in ICU on a ventilator, and she's doing much better now, but we, went through, we had some scary days. And I was spending the nights with her in the hospital while she was there, and my in-laws were here, grandparents watching our kids at our house. And so the kids would come over to the hospital on certain days because sometimes they would let them in to see Allison. And then they would come back home. And one night they came back home and they FaceTimed us. And a lot of times they would do this just to say goodnight. But I could tell they were super excited on this call, this FaceTime call. I was like, guys, what's up? And they said, Daddy, look. And they started showing me pictures that kind of looked like this. Just pieces of our house. But our house said... Christmas lights all over it. Now, here's what you need to know. I love Christmas lights, but I love your Christmas lights, not necessarily mine, because I don't have any. I'm scared of heights, so I don't put them up myself, and I'm too cheap to pay somebody to do it, okay? So we typically just go around and enjoy everyone else's Christmas lights. But when they got home that night, there were Christmas lights on our house, and there was a note that said, from an anonymous friend who's thinking about you guys during this time. By the way, the lights were blue and white, so they knew as well, because we're Kentucky fans, okay? So they knew as well, whoever it was. And after my kids went around and showed me all these pictures of the lights, I'll never forget what my son said over FaceTime. He said, Daddy, somebody must really love us. And now during this season, when I come home from the office and it's dark, I turn onto our street, and I see those Christmas lights on, What replays in my mind over and over again are those words that my son said. Somebody must really love us. Those lights are a sign to my family that somebody really does love us. And Jesus, as the light of the world, is a sign to all of us that somebody really does love us. And not just somebody. God really does love us. And so we're going to celebrate that tonight. We're going to have the candlelight portion of our service. And so if you got a candle when you came in, you can go and pull that out right now. And we're going to light up this room with our candles. And remember why we do this is because these candles, this light represents Jesus, the light of the world who shines in the midst of the darkness. And tonight as we sing together and we hold our candles up, I just ask that you say to yourself at some point or another, Actually, don't say to yourself, say this to God. God, thank you 
for loving someone like me. Because Christmas is proof that God does love someone like you and someone like me. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this moment that we've had to remember the birth of your son and to celebrate his coming. And Father, I just pray that tonight we will be grateful for your son entering our realm in order to save us and rescue us from our mess. Father, we don't have to stay in our mess any longer because your son has come. And so thank you for loving us so much to send him. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. From my family to yours, Merry Christmas.